Hello team, it's Fab here, founder and head teacher at Alt Marketing School. I'm just nipping in quickly to let you know that a new cohort of our introduction to positive impact marketing is kicking off soon. This is a four day cohort based intensive experience where we're going to map the next steps in your marketing strategy. Together, we're going to build your brand Bible in pretty much three days. And then you're also going to be able to present it to us on day four. In three days only, you learn how to become an irresistible storyteller, narrow your audience's needs, and of create your personalized brand Bible. So if you want to craft a strong vision people want to root for, get expert feedback and implementations for a fraction of the price of working with an agency, then I recommend you join us because this live intensive experience only happens a handful of times a year. So you better be quick. If anything, you can actually look at the full curriculum and breakdown of the experience and how it's going to work out and hear from incredible people that did it right before yourself. If you want to find out more and actually get the whole tea, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash intro. I repeat, amschool.click slash intro, and you will be able to find out more about our live intensive introduction to positive input marketing. Hopefully, I'll see you there. In the meantime, on with the show. So Love Island, everyone. Let's talk about that. <laughs> oh, the goss, the goss. What's happened this week? So wait a second, Steph, though, because before we went on air, you were telling me that you were watching, the two of you, you and your partner, Lisa, were watching Love Island. Does it mean that you were actually watching it or just stumbled upon it? Because that's now where the first <laughs> question comes in. Was it actually a conscious, like, let's look at what's happening on Love Island this year? Uh, yeah, we kind of stumbled on it, like, last season, <laughs> and I kept watching. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's good and it's bad at the same time, but you know what? Something that I was talking or joking about um, as well with, with some friends were talking about it. I think you, you don't realise, actually, the huge marketing machine that Love Island is. I wouldn't say that it would be kind of ethically in line with the values of alt marketing school, Wow, God damn it, they can teach you a lot about how they re- literally they revived it. Because when you think about it, I think Love Island took itself a bit more seriously before. So it was, you know, people would watch it because they really wanted to watch it. But I think now there's a sub-level and a sub-layer of people that watch it or conversations that go on. And it almost revived the whole thing. It's honestly fascinating. Aside from the fact they made us realize that we're both very old. I wouldn't say old a bit more mature (laughs) Um, it's fascinating and sometimes I talk to people and I say to them listen like honestly inspiration for marketing can come from any place even some places that again maybe start off not having necessarily the best track record but I think the storytelling piece it's it's second to none like especially in the last couple of seasons and the way that people are using it for like pop culture references it's annoyingly good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think most of the reality TV shows have been sort of bombs of marketing when you kind of break it down, like within all the eras of like Big Brother and then all the reality TV shows, because on the basis, like you say, there's not much to a show. 
but then it's how do you target the people and you can also see like the very specific demographics or like the language they use and I think all that wrapped up together you can kind of like you say it's it's not exactly the best show in the world but it does attract a lot of views and a lot of people that then interact with it and what they do behind like the app make people vote and and all those kind of elements that sort of bring you into that world and then you just get hooked and then you kind of keep watching despite the fact there's not much to watch um so I feel like (laughs) a lot of those tv shows like you say there's so much to learn from them if you actually sort of break down like the the structure and the what's going on behind the scenes of what they do i think that's great learning points as much as you know guilty pleasure of watching something a bit silly (laughs) and also love what you mentioned there actually because you know when you mentioned about that connection as well i can understand in the viewers it reminds me of like we talk so much in in the certification about kind of marketing audience personas as well but in a different way like looking at the kind of buyer psychology and the customer behaviors and something that we call consumer insights which if you haven't heard of before then if you do join us we do kind of break down our consumer insights can actually create a, a deeper and more almost like an inside conversation with your audience and i think that's a big part of where the win is i love how they mentioned the app as well and so every single week when I'm looking for new tactics and interesting insights that then we share also in our student community within the course library, I always love to actually not just look at, you know, incredible experts that share lovely insights, but also look at other sources and resources, because I think sometimes you kind of can learn a lot of powerful things without looking in the same places all the time. And funnily enough, this week, uh, or over the past week, I found a couple that I think you personally, Steph, would love. Are you ready for them? Yep, tell me more. <laughs> the reason why I love these ones, um, so whenever I look for, as I said, interesting insights for the course library, I look for a variety of things and sometimes I don't even look, I stumble literally upon them when I'm doing Twitter research and stuff. But these ones was really interesting because I personally love the resource as well, which we'll put in the show notes. It's called, uh, I'm going to read it, Ari, I think it's called, or Irie. Um, and it's a great Ari. And it's a great newsletter and what he does is on Substack and what he does, he actually breaks down some really interesting research, but heavy marketing research, stuff that even I sometimes struggle to kind of get through. And there were two pieces of interesting knowledge, which I think go more into the buyer psychology side of things than necessarily the quick marketing pieces, but I absolutely love this. So I have to share it also with our student community, but today I'm sharing them with you too. So there's two pieces of this. You want? <laughs> There's two pieces to this, and the first one, and they're all related to pricing, which we know can be contentious. The first one is that zero is better than free when it comes to pricing. Now, would you have guessed that, Steph, that zero is better than free? No, not necessarily. I'll tell you why. So what does that entail then? I'll tell you why. Because I was the same. I just, I read it and I was like, does it really? And then it's really interesting because it's just a psychological effect. And the reason why it works is because when it comes to our preference for promotion, it's really affected by the way it is presented. So when we attach a time, uh, time a price point, not time point, a price point to something, we actually do it by numbers, right? So whenever yeah. you think about attaching a price point, but it says free, we actually don't read free as an offer, but we read free as just a name. Whereas when we add the price plus zero on it, 
he kind of feels like he's free, which I think is actually pretty genius. So it's a very simple change and it's not huge, but actually in reality, according to this piece of research, when people were presented with the option of either going for something that was free or that cost them zero dollars or zero pounds or zero euros, they found more intel to click on the zero than the free because they actually felt they were saving some money as well instead of the assumption that it was going to be given them for free, which I find really interesting. So is that because we relate the value of the money directly to numbers more so than sort of wording? Exactly. And it's almost like it feels like it's a better deal instead of something that we would associate will be given to us for free anyway. So it's yeah. honestly about psychology, which I find so fascinating about. So does that then relate to sort of also with percentage and sort of the money offer, like if we see like a price with a sort of dollar sign or, or you know, pound sign to actually a, a percentage off? I am glad you asked. Segway, because as I said to you, this substack is actually pretty damn good. And I love all the research and I love that there were two price point related pieces of research here. When it comes to the big old question, is it better to have a discount with a percentage or is it better to have actually a number, a price of when it comes to numbers? There's not really one answer, as always, in life. But interestingly, there is a difference based on the type of percentage or amount of money of a specific price. So when you're looking at something that is a higher price point, now I'm going to ask, you, dear listener, and Steph, both to guess. If we have a higher price point, do you think people will be more likely to want a percentage of or to see the amount of money off? Should I do a drum roll? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drum roll. That was great. Um, I think I would say if you see a big number of what you get off, I think it might be more attractive. Yeah. That is, so according to this, again, other piece of research, when you're looking at choosing whether you want to do a percentage off or an amount off, anything, apparently there is even above a hundred pounds or dollars, it's better off putting the amount. But I say in general, what you just mentioned is that if it is a higher amount, it's better off to putting the actual value of money that you're saving. And it's literally going back to the other tactic that I shared, which is kind of like the little cousin. It does feel like you're saving more so, for example, just to give you one quick example of this, in our early birds, so we made a diff, a, a bill actually test for this. So if I did put, and I did, that people are actually saving up to 45% off, people were less likely to click than when I actually reminded them that they were saving £900, which is quite a lot. But the 45% didn't feel as much. So I think you also have to test with your audience what resonates the most. So that's what we did when it comes to the early bird pricing for the certification. But I found it really interesting because, for example, going back to the first tactic, what you could even do, you could even sign up your newsletter. And instead of saying, join my free newsletter, you could say what well, you're getting out of the newsletter each week. So get weekly upskilling sessions and opportunities straight into inbox for zero dollars or zero pounds. And that will make whatever you're doing feel a lot more valuable. Even if the newsletter is free anyway, by saying you can get all of this value for $0 into your inbox might actually get people over the edge more likely than if you were to just use normal wordings. They usually will find right newsletters, which I think is really clever. 
Do you think that would be good sort of A-B testing also? Always, to be honest. This is something that we talk about a lot also off air. Uh, I think also Steph, people that don't know Steph that well, is a big fan of A-B testing, like trying different things and see what works. So I would always say with all of these things, you want to go back to consumer insights, talking about Love Island again, and understand what your audience prefers and what kind of really attracts them. But overall, as a rule, I would definitely say it's worth testing and it's worth trying these things, especially for both option of the pricing point and also for the option of just kind of seeing whether the zero or three budgets it a bit as well. So I found this really interesting last week and I wanted to share it with you all. Oh, thanks, Bab. <laughs> You're welcome. And again, I literally love this because there are so many tactics and so many hacks and expert insights that we share in the course library. And so when I find a couple that really resonate, I like to share them throughout the month. So obviously, if you want more, just join the course library every week. There's one up to two new ones. And we'll also add campaign inspirations. Uh, it's like a new thread that we just added where both myself and also members of the community can share some really cool visual campaigns or even ads or videos because I find that that also helps me. I generally find that more you look for inspiration around you, the more you actually find the energy to try new things. So I kind of wanted to test that and people actually told me that they really like it and they really enjoy that thread. So I think it's going to stay. So just adding new, new reflections and insights every single week. Yeah. I think it's definitely worth it. Talking of insights, I think something quite interesting happened last week. And that might be something like an open day. Yes! By the way, you can hear the claps in my brain. So if you're listening, oh, thanks for seeing those like, sound effects. We are that kind of high production podcast um, that has <laughs> clapping effects from actual clapping. Uh, insert here. <laughs> insert here. Claps. But I was super duper, first of all, grateful because obviously just people like Seth, yourself, were there to support as part of the team. And also we had our panelists. We had obviously lots of people actually joining live, which was really exciting. And I did a reflection piece on this asking about insights. And it was the first thing that worked in a very long time. And there's two point, points here to remind ourselves of. So a time of listening, obviously the open day has been going on probably a couple of weeks ago, you can still actually watch the replays at marketingschool.com slash open day. I just wanted to say as well. But what I found really fascinating as well was that I forgot that probably 80% of the things that you experiment and try will not work. In an ideal world, it will be like a higher rate of success, but realistically speaking, you have to try a lot of stuff. So either you don't try enough, that's what I say, either you don't try new things, which is totally fine. If something works, stick with it. But if you are in a phase of experimenting, so when we look at marketing, actually, we teach in a certification, we're looking at phases of experimentations and phases of consolidation. So last year was experimentation, as I talked about in the podcast, actually. And this year is consolidation. So I was kind of like, please work open day, because at least it means I can repeat you. <laughs> I don't have to try and find a new way to actually bring the buzz and it works and I think there's three things for me that work and then I would love to hear step what also you think worked when it comes to the open day so when it comes to me I think one of the things that really worked was understanding what format would work well based on your audience and your needs so in this podcast actually uh, we have talked a lot about kind of consumer insights understanding your audience and I think there's a lot about understanding what will feel natural when it comes to what your brand is about 
So the open day format made a lot of sense because the attendees came to us and were actually willing to join also the sessions when we we're just talking about the certification, just kind of answering any questions, explaining how it would work. And I think if we did it, if we packaged it any other way, people probably would be like, Anna, I'm just going to wait for the class. I'm not going to shop for this because it's not relevant. Whereas they knew that it was all about introducing people to the school and how it works. So they were willing to ask questions and stick around during those short sessions as well, which I was not expecting. And then the other thing was, which I was really impressed and surprised by, was just making sure that we would actually create a nice flow that included both some panels at first and then the classes after, because that allows scalability. So if we're going to do it again, which we will, so if we do it twice a year before the certification, even if some people might have done the classes, because there's so many taste of classes you can come up with without, you know, literally burning myself out, people might be like, okay, yeah, no, I've done this class before. I can redo it if I want to, because I might need to refresh it. Or maybe they just joined for the panels already being warmed up because maybe they came to the previous open day, which means it's just reiterating the value and reminding them that we exist. And it might be that if they didn't join us last time for the certification, they might join us this time. So as a result, we got obviously lots of people attending live, which was amazing. We actually got about 10 applications too, which is awesome because that 10 new applications specifically from the open day was amazing. We did have over 175 people attending, which again, that's also amazing. I like to be transparent with these things. And then finally, one more little win was also that we got a couple of people joining our library too, of courses. They were not really ready for certifications just yet, but they love the idea of still being involved with the self-paced style of things, which means we also attracted new people into some of the other ways that they can learn from us. So this is all of my long spiel about what worked. Uh, Steph, any anything from you, anything from you seeing on the other side still of the back end that you really enjoyed or you think really worked out? Um, well, like you mentioned, I was sort of in the background sort of helping, just making sure everyone was getting in and then sort of seeing what was happening in the chat and making sure questions were being answered and everything. Um, so from the back end, I feel like there was a lot of interaction within sort of the sessions, the panels, and also the classes. Um, I definitely think having that mini session, which is all about just asking questions about the school itself, then make sure that people sort of have their target there rather than try and ask everything within one session that might not be um, might sort of distract from sort of the conversation especially the panelists what was good is the panelists also were the teachers so they are the people that you're gonna you know obviously learn from and to sort of see more of the background or what they're about um, and just the taste of class I think also was kind of really smooth going and giving sort of a taste of how a class is run and what kind of things we cover and as a as sort of a tactic to have an open day for the school I, I agree with you completely like it made sense that the format was an open day because it's it's a school um, as I mentioned before for me it's a bit like thinking about university before you go to university you should attend an open day to sort of get a feel around um, and in this case is also offering you know potential students or people that are just interesting a bit of value too so we had like workbooks um, to download to sort of help you through the the sort of mini classes and actually be able to take something away from it not just sort of watch um, and not feel like you can sort of get your teeth in with a bit of something to action 
Um, I think there's a lot of takeaways from sort of the two days and the subjects we covered for people to sort of get a taste, not only for the school, but as you mentioned, like we had the library to on offer and that's sort of that stepping stone of if you're not quite ready for the certification, you can sort of get more value from those two. And then, yeah, just as a tactic of introducing the school, maybe on the next open day, if we change up the, obviously the panelists and the, and the sessions, people sort of get more value, even more from that. And maybe at that point, they're ready for the certification. And actually, with that in mind, I wanted to give you a bit of a feeling, dear reader. If you have missed our open day, again, no problem, you can watch the replay or markdschool.com slash open day, as I said. But I also want you to hear a couple of extracts because I thought, well, if you're not sure whether you want to commit, which I appreciate, we're all busy, I want you to hear from our panels. First and foremost, we're going to hear a short extract from our leadership in marketing and beyond, which I think it was a great panel all about different skills and also understanding the role as humans when it comes to different strands of leadership. Well, we have the amazing Becca Leopard and Britta O joining us. So we're going to hear from that one first, and I really hope that it inspires you to kind of understand how to make the most of your leadership skills and why everybody is a leader in their own right. What are, let's say two, Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. What are mm-hmm. maybe one or two again, essential skills for leaders or, or skills that you love to see people cultivate in order to improve their leadership and kind of get that confidence as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so so what's the question? How to get confidence? <laughs> leadership skills. What are some leadership skills that you would say are essential? Oh, yeah, well, my answer would be all of the above, the classic primary school answer. But if I have to rate it, the top one would be empathy. And the reason is because, oh my goodness, that is one tool, like a Swiss knife. You can use it first and foremost because of the context. You can use that for marketing. (laughs) You go nowhere without an empathy map, all right? That is the one thing. And two, you can never read anyone's mind, but you can personalize the way you communicate, the way you lead, the way you, even the way you give feedback, the way you, you, you personalize it to each quote unquote audience stakeholder who, who you're um, dealing with. Okay. So, so that is because then after knowing who you're dealing with, you empathize with uh, where they are, then you know how to then get them be more resilient, get them be more confident. If you know someone in your team member who is an introvert, then you know that in the meeting, unless her name is mentioned, she won't speak up. So as a leader, you then, hello, Stephanie, why don't you uh, tell me your idea that you mentioned over lunch yesterday? You know, things like that. I love the personalized touches. I think it's not such a great reminder as well how then we can use it to kind of really speak to people, as you say, without reading their mind. There's so many things that we can learn by behaviors and understanding and just listening and looking, which I think is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Britt, what about yourself? What came out? What comes up for you when it comes to skills for leaders? Does it have to be one of those choices? No, 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 no. It can be literally whatever you want. I'm only asking because they are all incredible skills, but I was thinking a little bit more of like piggybacking off of the empathy. 
I think it's really, really important as a leader to give yourself empathy and to focus on your self-love because if you don't love yourself and pour into yourself, you can't pour into others. You, you just can't, you will drain out, you'll burn out. It's really hard. So focus on loving yourself, you know, focus on giving yourself grace and empathy. And then just from that self love, you'll just immediately start to love others more and immediately just kind of like, you'll start to empower people just from that alone. And you'll just naturally kind of guide, like guide yourself into a leadership role just because you, you want what's best for yourself and the people around you and it'll just happen. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah. Amanda is dealing with that right now. Um, I hope you're, you're handling it well, but when we say empowering in that word also include delegating in when you say self-care, taking care of yourself, that includes delegating. There's a lot to say by, with with delegation because yes, some might have problems with you know control um, or you know anxiety in delegating, but at the same time, again, being a leader, you have to be brave. But then, when you're empowering someone, it's not just like. Uh, dropping, here you go, figure it out yourself, but more like, okay, this is how we do it right. If you do have ideas on how to make it even better, go for it, you know? So that is like, I love that uh, Brita mentioned about taking care of yourself because yes, absolutely. If if you're burnt out, you're going to be the worst leader, worse than when you're PMSing, girl. <laughs> and then just because it's Christmas, even if it's not Christmas, because that will be weird because it's only February, I'm going to give you yet another extract uh, from the other panel that was all about impact and purpose and understanding the role of trends and changes and new tools in marketing when we had our amazing advisors and teachers. So we had our teacher, Hannah Flores, who teaches content marketing, and we had uh, Veronica Wood-Corrales, who teaches marketing funnels, as well as our advisor, Raz, who is just amazing, talking about also copywriting. So we're going to hear about, obviously, one of the most talked about topics for probably the first quarter of 2023, which is AI, and just understanding how we can use every new tool and harness it as things evolve in marketing as well. What's happening in the world and some of the changes that are happening and some of the trends and the new tools, you know, Things are evolving and technology is changing. But how do you think these changes are shaping up the way that we are marketing and that we are actually, you know, setting up customers' expectations? Let me explain. How can we use new tools and how can we use different techniques but also still be transparent with our customers? What are some of the positives and the negatives? And so what are some of the risks? Putting a tool out there. AI, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. So maybe let's use that as an example. Veronica, I'll hand it to you because I know that we're talking about it earlier on. So it's coming. But I think it's a really interesting debate and I would love to start that when it comes to, you know, impact and purpose. 
Yeah, oh gosh, so much to say on this. I'm sure the others will have some really interesting views as well. So I think in terms of tech, um, so again, going back to my 15 years, it's kind of a very sh short time in the world of you know the universe, but in marketing, that feels like a really, really long time in terms of how marketing worked in the, in the noughties. It was so different to how it is today. I think with tech, you know, things are so much easier, so much more transparent, but I think we've lost so much trust with people in terms of privacy and tracking and so on. So I think trust is harder to build, but once you have it, it's a really, really valuable thing to have in place. And AI, I think, ties really nicely into this. So I think if it is something that you use and you rely on nothing else, it will have a huge impact on the trust that your customers have with you because it'll be obvious that it's, you know, not written by you or you've used overused these tools. Whereas if you keep the the human element and the relationship, that is something that will maintain the trust and the you know the relationship that you have with your customers which is one of the most important things that you can have and it's it take a long long time to build that up but it can be lost so quickly so you know i'm thinking of a scenario where you know you, you bring in a marketing team and maybe you're not quite sure what they're doing and if you go too far down the route of not respecting privacy or trust you can really burn some bridges there before I ask my fellow squirrel friends to come and thoughts, <laughs> thank you so much, Veronica, because I think you started us off on a great foot and I love that you really talked about actually how we use these things and the choices that we make. I also want to know in the chat if you want to let us know what are some of your thoughts and kind of give us some ideas in the chat of, you know, have you used different tools? How do you use them? How do you see them kind of shaping up also how we're going to go into 2023 and beyond? I'll keep an eye out and obviously we can look at some of your thoughts. You've always been so proactive, so I wanted to encourage you to do that. And before that, passing le baton to um, Hannah, I would like to hear some of, of your thoughts when it comes to, again, changes in tech, obviously the evolution, transparency and trust. I love that Veronica brought trust in the place as well. Yeah, I think trust is so important. And, you know, I was just thinking then, like, again, I don't really know how long I've worked in digital for, like a long time. <laughs> over 15 years so I remember hopefully this isn't going too off piste here but I remember I used to work for match.com for many years and we were one of the first companies to use what we called them behavioral retargeting right we all know what it is now it's just Facebook ads and <laughs> I remember like having a meeting and my stakeholders were like this is really shady like the amount <laughs> that we have and we stopped doing it anyway the point I was going to make is I think now and I've seen it with clients that are working with younger generations it is a lot more the norm and I know that there is a lot of yeah I guess mistrust especially with younger generations coming up they know that everything's tracked um you know and so I think I guess I don't fully know what the answer is, but I think there needs to be some kind of meat in the middle. Like we need to acknowledge that we are using AI if we are. We need to acknowledge that we're tracking everything everyone does online because come on, we are. Um, and I and I think so it's kind of like Veronica said, yeah, but being being transparent around it and trying to build that trust. If So yeah, I, it's still something that I'm not fully... I guess I don't have it fully sorted out in my own brain, but I think what we definitely can't do is pretend that we're not using it. I think it's much better to be upfront and yeah, like Veronica said, expect respect people's privacy, talk about what we are doing 
with data and obviously talk about the advantages of it as well because you know back in the days where we couldn't where we didn't have data on our customers nothing was personalized we were getting messages that were irrelevant we were getting shown ads that were irrelevant so it can actually make for a much nicer experience so I think it's kind of focusing on the positives but also trying to build that trust Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that was great. And I, and I put you all on a, on, on a really tough spot because obviously it's good to talk about the purpose and the impact, but it's also thinking about then, you know, how to adapt and how to use the tools that we're given in a way that obviously still brings that also in the choices that we make. It's not just about how we pay it forward or our message. Raj, last but not least, what are your thoughts on this subject? <laughs> Um, I think it's a it's a tough question. I think everybody will agree, but you you find the the value transparency in I guess most of the manifestos of uh, tech companies. Um, but so like it's allegedly something that customers and employees care about. But on the other hand, I mean you've seen brands with CEOs with little transparency, like I don't know Elon Musk and Sam Bankman Fried, and so many people put in their trust in them even though there was no transparency just because of technology and stuff like that. So at least in my copywriting services, I don't, I don't feel as if the advancement of technology impacts people's need for transparency. But I can say that in empl- like employer branding-wise, I think that employees do want to know that they're part of something that is transparent and bigger uh, than them, you know, but in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. and with that i think this was a great way to give us a good february boost as as always uh, a little bit of a boost for us as well and obviously if you want to join us please go and check out allmarketingschool.com slash learn to find out about our next cohort we would absolutely love to have you we will be as always back next week with more wisdom with more chats and with more interesting things And obviously, if you want to let us know about anything else that you would like us to talk about or any cool things and tactics that have worked for you, if you want to suggest some for us to talk about, you can just find us at All Marketing School on Instagram or All Marketing School on Twitter and anywhere else. Steph, thank you so much for joining me again. It was a pleasure to have you and chat about Love Island. You're very welcome. I look forward to the next episode tonight. (laughs) And until next time, class dismissed. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Old Marketing School. Until next time.